But nevertheless, we're going to start uh, a series called Evaluating Continuationism. Again, it was a, a course that I took at the Master Seminary for which Nathan Butznik uh, walked through. These are notes that uh, originally arose from the 2014 Shepherds Conference. And so, um, but nevertheless, it's a great course, one that I think will uh, encourage you and challenge you. And so, as we prepare for that, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you for today, the privilege of being here. Thank you for all those that are joining us today, and I would hope and pray that we would all be blessed, challenged as we walk and serve the Lord. And uh, I pray that today you will be uh, use this time and our this message for your glory. And so we ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So, again, if you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you to Getting in the Word. Uh, it's always a privilege to have you. So we are going to begin by evaluating continuationism. Um, the title uh, for this could be really called The Closet Cessationist, how ultimately uh, continuationism actually affirms that the miraculous gifts have passed away. Now, I know that uh, this is somewhat a provocative title, but as Nathan suggested, uh, the hope is that, that you can be convinced uh, of the truth of it by the time we walk through this set, these sessions together. Um, now, there needs to be a note at the outset that our focus will be on conservative evangelical continuationist. Uh, we are therefore not really talking about the charismatic movement as a whole, but rather our focus, we're going to hone in on those that would identify themselves as conservative evangelicals. And in many cases, um, we can see these as considered like a reformed uh, evangelical, while simultaneously believing that the miraculous or relatory gifts of the New Testament have continued into the present. So the term continuationist is an important uh, term to define. It's often used to distinguish theologically um, what we would consider conservative um, charismatics for those that are kind of the broader charismatic movement. So you, you have well-known evangelical continuationists. Um, these are men that I, I think we, we respect, we, we glean from. We don't agree with them theologically, but they are nevertheless brothers in Christ. They're not the crazy, wacko, Bill Johnson, Bethel Church kind of uh, thing, but these are godly men who have proven the test of time, um, but they're still continuationists, um, which would include leaders like John Piper, Wayne Grudem, Sandstorm, and men like D.A. Carson. I mean, John Piper I have on my bookshelf, Wayne Grudem I have on my bookshelf, D.A. Carson I have in my bookshelf. 
Um, and these are great men, and it's important to note while we don't agree with their position regarding the charismatic gifts, we, we have much that we appreciate about these men. And so it should be noted that labeled as they are labeled continuationists is one that uh, responsible charismatic often use to distinguish their position from the larger charismatic world. So Bob Coughlin, for an example, um, and I'll try to, as we teach through these, post some of the quotes because I think that'll be helpful for you so that you can see the persons and the quotes and where they are quoted from. Now, Bob Coughlin is uh, a great musician. He is a uh, wonderful, wonderful musician, and and I listen to their music uh, all the time. He actually led the worship, uh, interestingly enough, at uh, Grace Community Church during the Shepherds Conference. And so, uh, it just shows you that we we partner where we can, and uh, we where we can't partner, we we separate. But nevertheless, uh, Bob Coughlin is really the uh, the so the man that is uh, it, over sovereign grace music, and uh, you can listen to that uh, that gospel. Christian music called Together for the Gospel Live Too. But nevertheless, this is what he says. The term charismatic has often, has sometimes been associated with doctrinal error. Under uh, unsubstantiated claims of healing, financial improperity, uh, outlandish and unfulfilled predictions, and overemphasized the speech gifts, and some regrettably hairstyles. And that's why I've started to identify myself more often as a continuationist rather than a charismatic. So what you have is in light of the charismatic community, you have uh, more conservative charismatics um, that would not identify themselves as charismatics, but often would consider themselves uh, a continuationist. And so, um, nevertheless, this is a quote from Bob Coplin, um, and I think what he's saying is that he doesn't align himself with the charismatics, but theologically considers himself a continuationist, and uh, love Bob Coplin's music, great musician, great man, and got a great heart for the Lord. We just disagree theologically, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree. They're not salvation issues. But in the end, I think uh, that uh, that he's really a closet cessationist, but we'll get to that as we go through. As I noted, uh, continuationist, uh, these are conservative, again, conservative charismatics. You need to, to understand what I mean by the continuationist. Insist that the miraculous and relatory gifts are still in operation in the church today. Uh, Sam, Sam Storm says, when I speak of signs and wonders and miraculous phenomenons available to the church today, I have in mind not the mere potential for rare supernatural activity or surprising acts of providence, but the actual operation of those miraculous gifts listed in First. 
Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, 7 to 10. And so uh, that's Sam Storm's position. Now, cessationist, uh, by contrast, on the opposite end of the perspectrum, um, are those who believe that the miraculous and revelatory gifts passed away in church history after the apostolic age ended. Now, I'll just go ahead and put my cards out on the table. That's where I stand. That's where we stand as a church, and many people can't deal with that. They disagree with us, and therefore they they want to break ties with us, and that's okay. Uh, we understand we, we're, we're not in for the number game. We're in for the long haul and the gospel, but nevertheless, these are real tensions between uh, the continuationists and the cessationists. Nevertheless, um, I think that we can, by grace, uh, be in harmony together for the gospel and still disagree in some of these areas. But I think it takes mature Christians to, to agree to disagree on them. But nevertheless, I am a cessationist. Uh, I am one who believes that the miraculous signs and gifts have passed away with the uh, with the the end of the apostolic age. And, and, and we'll go through why. So therefore, cessationists assert that the extraordinary gifts of the apostles, prophecy, tongues, healings, are no longer functioning in the church today. Rather, they were given as signs to authenticate the ministry of the apostles during the foundational age of the church. So once the apostolic age passed and the canon of Scripture was completed, the primary purpose for those gifts was fulfilled and they ceased. So there are obviously significant disagreements between the charismatics and the continuationists. Um, on one hand, the cessationists on the other. So the charismatics would even lash out at the continuationists in some sense because they've kind of made it more of a conservative charismaticism uh, and calling themselves continuationists because they kind of, again, the continuationists, I believe, are closet cessationists. They just won't admit it. Uh, but the, nevertheless, the first group contends that the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecy, tongues, and healings, are still functioning in the church today, while cessationists assert they have been ended with the apostolic age and the, clo the close of church, uh, the as a close of the apostolic age after which they passed away. Now, with the difference between continuationism and cessationism established, um, there, there is now the reality we can ask the key questions at the heart, and that is, in what sense are continuationists, conservative charismatics, actually cessationists? And we'll, we'll go through those, um, and we'll answer that question ultimately by examining four major areas of controversy regarding the charismatic issues. And so these gifts represent the primary point of departure 
right, between the charismatics and the cessationists. And those four areas that we are going to touch on as we work through this, number one is apostleship. Number two is prophecy. Number three is tongues. And number four is healing. And so let's begin today, and maybe we'll just get through uh, the, get, the, the areas of apostleship today, and we'll uh, work through that, and then maybe we'll pick up prophecy next, and then tongues and healing, and, uh, and nevertheless, uh, we'll, we'll see where we end up. Uh, so let's begin by apostleship. Let's begin by considering the gift and office of apostleship. Though it is true that the word apostolos can have a broader meaning of messenger, nevertheless, the, the reality is the New Testament primarily uses that word to refer specifically to the apostle of Jesus Christ. Historically speaking, uh, the church has used the term apostle to refer to those authoritative representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, such as men like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, the Apostle Peter. Now, this type of apostleship that Peter speaks of, he speaks of in Ephesians 2.20. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a little time and open the Word and begin to thumb through. So Ephesians, uh, that would be great electric power company, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse 20. Um, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone. So when we talk about the apostles, we, we are specifically speaking of those apostles under the, 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 the rule and authority of Christ Jesus. Um, chapter 3, verse 5, which in other generations, it says, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And then we see in chapter 4, verse 11, as well, and having gave some as apostles and others as prophets and some as evangelists and others as pastors and teachers. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 to 30, it's important. We see these, uh, especially in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Paul's reference to apostleship within the context of the charismatic gifts. If apostleship, okay, this is important. If apostleship has ceased, meaning it's no longer applicable today, and I would suggest to you that the, that the office of apostleship is closed. You cannot meet the qualifications to be an apostle in today, and we'll go over that. But if apostleship has ceased, it sets a precedence for considering whether or not the other gifts have ceased as well. Now, biblically, there are at least three qualifications that characterized a true apostle, okay? First, an apostle 
had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Okay? That's important. So if, if, if you are out and about in your daily life and in your church community and someone says they are an apostle, it should throw up a red flag. Why? Because they have never been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. It, it's impossible. You can't do it. Not anymore. So you, you find verses like Acts 1, um, 22. Acts 10, 39 to 41. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 1. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 and 8. These are all legitimate um, qualifications. This is the first qualification. Is an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Okay. Now, secondly, well, let let's let's. I think it's important. Let's let's open up the the scriptures and read them, because if we're going to talk about these things, let's let's look at the word. There's no power in my words. Let's look at the word of God and see what it has to say, and we'll just go through each one. Acts chapter one, verse twenty-two. I'll start in verse 31. Therefore, it's necessary that the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay? So here in the upper room, you know they are they are they are uh, they are preparing the position of apostleship, and here we see uh, therefore it necessary that the man accompany us at all times as the Lord went in and out among us. And so, uh, look at uh, chapter ten, verse thirty nine and forty. Chapter ten, thirty nine and forty. We are witnesses of all these things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Okay, the, the, the apostles were those who were an eyewitness. And flip over to First Corinthians. First Corinthians, um, chapter nine. Now it is important for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, right? Oh, I'm in 2 Corinthians. Sorry, let me flip back to 1 Corinthians. That's always helpful if I'm in the right chapter. 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Um, Paul used of liberty. says, I am, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Right? Are you not my work in the Lord? So, Paul, an apostle, was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. 
Okay. And then in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. And here he is um, talking about the gospel. He's telling us what he's made most important, uh, that he appeared, uh, verse 6, to more than 500. This is after his resurrection. Uh, appeared to 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. See there, all the apostles, he appeared to them. Uh, and uh, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God. So he says, not only did they appear to James and to all the other apostles, he says in verse 8, and last of all, as one untimely board, he appeared to me also. So an apostle has to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. So the second um, qualification that's characterized by a true apostle is the fact that an apostle had to be directly appointed by Jesus. He had to be directly appointed by Jesus. And I'm I'm reminded of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Um, I memorized Acts chapter 26 as a young believer because the testimony was such a powerful testimony to me. And I'm reminded that when Jesus met him on that road to Damascus, and he saw a light brighter than heaven. They had this conversation. And Jesus said to Paul, Now stand up, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. So Paul was appointed by Christ. Now Mark 3, 14, Luke 6, 13, all of these, Acts 1, 2, uh, promote the idea that... Um, one must be directly appointed by Jesus Christ, okay? So it says he appointed 12 in, in Mark that they would be with him and that they could send them out to preach. In Luke 6, um, we can turn there and look at verse 13. Luke 6, 13. And the day came, and he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Okay? So they were chosen by Christ. Um, this is an important factor in understanding apostles uh, today. Okay? Now look at Acts chapter 1, verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. Then first account I composed the Theophilus uh, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay? So we, we, we find verse after verse that after verse that confirm that an apostle had to be directly appointed by Jesus. And then, thirdly, 
an apostle had to be able to confirm his mission and message with miraculous signs and wonders. Okay? That's important. That's an important aspect. So if you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, you'll find that uh, here it says, Jesus summoned his 12 uh, disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out them, to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. So here... Uh, the apostle had to be able to confirm that he was really who he says he was as an apostle with his mission and message with miraculous signs. This was important. And then if you turn over to Acts chapter 1 and you look at verses 5 to 8, you also see here... For John baptized with water, but I will baptize with uh, will you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, "Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel?" He said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed upon by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem, Judea." and through Samaria and throughout the remotest parts of the world. So the mission was to be accompanied by miraculous signs. So according to passages like Ephesians 2.20, um, uh, according to, let, let's flip there, Ephesians 2.20. Having the the fact that uh, the 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 building of the church's foundations was built upon the apostles and prophets, so passages is like Ephesians two twenty, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Listen, I only have one foundation at my house. It doesn't need another foundation. It's been built, right? And then Revelation 21, 14, the apostles played uh, a foundational role in establishing the church. So after the apostolic age ended, that foundation was laid. The church was no longer led or no, uh, was no longer led by the apostles, but rather by pastors, elders, and deacons. So that's an important factor to be reminded of, that the apostles played a distinct role in the building of the foundation to the church, Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, some, of course, have continued that in the same way that Paul was an apostle, there might still be apostles in the church today. But this ignores the uniqueness with which Paul viewed his very own apostleship. Paul's situation, listen, was not the norm. As he himself explained in 1 Corinthians 15, 8 and 9, as we looked at already, he saw himself as a one-of-a-kind nominally, openly calling himself the least of the apostles, the last 
apostle. So based on the qualifications necessary to be an apostle, the foundational role of apostleship and the uniqueness of Paul's apostolic ministry, the cessationists contend that apostleship is no longer a gift or office bestowed on the church today. Now, interestingly enough, significantly, many other continuationists emphatically agree. Okay, this is why we call many of the conservative continuationists clauses cessationists because they believe like the cessationists in many ways. So, Wayne Grudem, for example, said this. And if you don't know who Wayne Grudem is, Wayne Grudem wrote Systematic Theology, and Systematic Theology is about the number one systematic theology book used in all seminaries across the United States. He, he's a very well-renowned theologian. So when he speaks, he speaks with authority and clarity, and he does a phenomenal job. But listen to what he says. It seems that no apostles were appointed after Paul. And certainly, since no one today can meet the qualifications of having seen the risen Christ with his own eyes, there are no apostles today. In place of living apostles present in the church to teach and to govern it, we have instead the writings of the apostles in the books of the New Testament. Though some may use the word apostle in English today to refer to very effective church planters or evangelists, it seems inappropriate and unhelpful to do so, for it simply confuses people who read the New Testament and see the high level of authority that is attributed to the office of apostle there. It is noteworthy that no major leader in church history not Ignatius, not Augustine, not Luther, not Calvin, not Wesley, not Whitfield has taken to himself the title of apostle or let himself be called an apostle. And so if any in modern time want to take the title apostle to themselves, they immediately raise the suspicion that they may be motivated by inappropriate pride and desire for self-exaltation, along with excessive ambition and desire for much more authority in the church than any one person should rightfully have. That, that is an amazing quote by Wayne Grudem. Because what Wayne Grudem is saying is that he agrees with the cessationists that there are no longer apostles in the office of apostleship today, but rather we use them as a lowercase a as apostle in church planters. Like I, I really believe that I am gifted with the gift of apostleship, but not with the apostolic apostleship that they had in that time when they were selected by Christ. 
No, rather the ability to go to the front lines and prepare and plant churches and do evangelistic ministry. So Wayne Grudem agrees. Now, to me that seems awkward that someone who claims to be a continuationist would agree that the apostolic ministry ended with the death of the last apostles. Paul was the last apostle. Or the last of the apostles. And interestingly enough, not only does Wayne Grudem, but the, the, the powerhouse, D.A. Carson, echoes the sentiments of Wayne Grudem. He says this, as long as apostles are understood to refer to a select group, the 12 plus Paul, those positions or functions cannot be duplicated after their demise. So, what do we do with that? God has appointed, first of all, apostles. If the summaries, right, that 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 Paul would designate first in any sense, those who are apostles in some fashion could simply be messengers for the church, perhaps. It's likely, though, he has the narrow scope of apostles in mind, those 12. So that's what DR DR Carson. D.A. Carson suggests. So here are your two leading continuationist scholars who are very respectful, who I respect and glean from on a weekly basis, both of whom affirm cessationism or the cessation of apostleship, the, the doing away with, the ending, the, the, the no longer existing. And Carson goes as far as to concede the fact that because apostleship has ceased, it raises the questions about the other charismatic gifts. Because if the apostles ceased, then it's possibly and legitimate that those, that those gifts that they were required to have ceased as well. So even those continuationists who insist that apostleship has continued in the form of church planters and missionaries acknowledge that apostleship in the foundational sense of the 12 plus Paul was limited to the first century. And, and, and there's the, the greater, the obvious reason is this. When the apostles spoke, they spoke the scriptures into being. God used those apostles to pen the canon of Scripture. And therefore, when someone claims to be apostle, what they are saying is, my word has as much authority as the apostle Paul. Therefore, when I speak, I speak the words of God. That is heresy. The word of God is closed in its canon. It is absolutely sufficient and needs not any interpretation outside of itself by anyone. Adrian Warnock said those who believe in modern apostles believe that there are two foundational roles for the apostles. Number one, in building foundations for the church universal, and secondly, in building 
derivative foundations for individual churches. It is only in the second sense that this has continued. So in some senses, we are all continuationists, I will grant. They admit it, that in relation to the apostles, this is a reality. So by acknowledging that apostleship has ceased, continuationists like Wayne Grudem, Carson, are acknowledging the very premise on which sensationism is built. So we are cessationists because we believe, first and foremost, that the apostles ended, that the office of apostleship, the gift of, of, of the apostolic authority is ended. Samuel Waldron said there is at least one gift which we know for sure cannot be possessed in the church today, and it's the gift of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is at least one way the church today ought not to attempt to copy the church of the New Testament. The sensation, the cessation of the, apost, apost, the apostolic arena is therefore the crack in the foundation of continuationism, the fatal law in, the flaw in their thinking. They think that, that to assume any distinction between the church today and the early church fails to take the New Testament seriously. And so this assumption is, uh, is wrong. Thomas Edgar, um, let me post that quote for you so that you can also have those for your benefit. Um, Thomas Edgar says the fact that the gift of apostles ceased with the apostolic age is a devastating blow to the basic assumption underlying the entire charismatic perspective, namely the assumption that all gifts are to be operative throughout the church age. We know that at least one gift has ceased. Therefore, their foundational assumption is incorrect. Again, what we're doing is we're chipping away at the reality that the continuationists are really closet cessationists. Now, many uh, Richard Gaffin says many continuationists are in the fact cessationists in that they recognize there are no apostles today. That, that reflects an appreciation of the unique authority of the apostles and the tie between that authority and the authority in closed canonicity of the New Testament. So people say, well, Stuart, why are you all up in arms about this whole apostolic thing in our day? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when someone claims to be an apostle, they're threatening the authority of Scripture. They're threatening the, the, the authority and the closed canonicity of the New Testament, and that's offensive. So that awareness in turn implies that the legitimacy of distinguishing between an apostolic and post-apostolic era of the church history or what parallels between an open and closed canon period. So, 
That is vitally important. Okay. And I think I'll end there um, as we walk through the distinction between the cessationist and the continuationist. While the continuationist would hold that, that, uh, or the charismatic at least, not even the conservative continuation, but the, 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 the charismatic movement would teach there are still apostles today. And by the claim, they would claim then that they have the same authority as the apostles in the New Testament, which we know biblically is impossible. Why? Because they can't meet the three qualifications of being an apostle and the fact that an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. The apostle had to be directly appointed by Jesus. An apostle had to be able to confirm his message and, and mission with miraculous signs and wonders. And therefore, because they can't meet those qualifications, there can no longer be. So there must have come to an end of that apostolic ministry which God used for the building up and the edification of the foundation of the church. They, those, those signs and wonders and miracles were given for the building up and the clarification of the church and its foundation for which Christ became the chief cornerstone. And so the, after the apostolic age ended, after that foundation was laid, the church was no longer led by apostles, but rather pastors, elders, and deacons. And it's interesting, too, because as you look at the book of Titus, which I'm about to do a 13-week series, 13 week series through the book of Titus, what does Paul do? Paul tells Titus to what? Go appoint apostles? Nope. He says, go appoint elders. And elders in the Greek is the same word used for bishop, pastor, and elder. So he gives the qualifications of what biblical elders are because this was the building up of the future. It was through the pastors, elders, and teachers, and deacons. So nevertheless, um, this is, again, the, the beginning process of of the, the, the tension between the continuationist and the cessationist. The continuationist ultimately believe that, um, that the miraculous signs and wonders still continue today, where the cessationists say the end, and the argument begins for the building up of the case for cessationism at the fact that apostles no longer exist today, and what we've uh, uh, pointed out is the reality that even the cessation or the continuationists today admit that that office of apostle is no longer available. It's closed. And if it is closed, therefore, it gives us the ability to begin to chip away at the potential reality that as they pass, so those gifts passed as well. So we'll pick up next week on the 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 area of prophecy and this again will come into um the extra evidence as well um that 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 a continuation is displays an evidence of of again cessationism and so we'll look secondly as we talked not only about the apostolic ministry today apostleship but next week 
we'll look at prophecy. So let me pray and we'll close. And Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the Word of God and its beauty. You've given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness in your Word. It is absolutely authoritative, and it needs no extra. It is sufficient. It is full. It's complete. The canon of Scripture is closed, and you have communicated everything we need in your Word. So help us to not simply seek for outside voices from you, but rather read your Word and let the Spirit of God, through the working of the Word of God, penetrate our hearts so that we can hear from you. Help us to be faithful in understanding these things as we live out our days, as we approach the last of the last days, as there will be many false teachers that will arise. Help us to focus on the gospel, to pointing people to Christ as we defend and argue sound doctrine for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your gifts and for your, for your salvation that you've offered us through your Son, Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.